Welcome to the Art Life Faith Podcast. This is the show where we talk about art and stories of how it impacts our lives and what it has to do with the Christian faith, especially in the context of foreign missions. And I'm your host, Roger Lowther. During the month of March in this podcast, we've been talking story after story from March 11 and that terrible earthquake that struck Japan 10 years ago. I was surprised <laughs> the other day when the headlines in the news read, March 11, the day everything changed. But the articles were not talking about one of the most devastating earthquakes in recorded history, but about the day one year ago that the World Health Organization officially declared COVID-19 a pandemic. So for all of us here in Japan, 311 is a double anniversary. And actually in my family's case, it's a triple anniversary since my wedding anniversary also falls on 311. The trauma that people have experienced this year, the trauma that people have experienced 10 years ago, it's gonna impact them their whole lives. I mean, so many lives were lost and there's nothing we can do to bring them back. There are just some things in this world that can never be fixed. And so what do we do with that? Do we despair? Do we just curse God and die? And if we don't make a conscious effort to do otherwise, this trauma will not only ruin our lives, but the lives of everyone around us. And I've seen that time and time again here in Japan. I have stories that I'm not gonna share now, but they, they pain me a lot. Um, this pain, this suffering, this death, this loss. There's too many lives here that have been destroyed by these things. So I thought it'd be appropriate to talk about this question a little bit more. And I've invited Pierce Taylor Hibbs to join us on the show. He's the author of Finding Hope in Hard Things, a positive take on suffering. And the major theme of his book is that hard things do not have to lead to despair or more brokenness. Um, Pierce Taylor Hibbs is uh, an author that's meant a lot to me. He's still just in his 30s with young children, but he's already published nine books and many more on the way and has such a pastoral heart. I first discovered him in my seminary studies on how God speaks through language. And I've been applying that to my own studies of how God speaks through the arts. There's so many stories I've been sharing on this podcast and my books that have been really actually heavily influenced by his writing. So it's a privilege to be able to introduce him to y'all today. So Pierce, welcome to the show. Oh, I'm happy to, to be with you. This will be, uh, I hope, fruitful for many people. Yeah, so Pierce, help us out here. I mean, suffering is something that we all face. Uh, there's no way around it. What do we do with this? And and if you want to give us the answer already, <laughs> what is the biblical view of suffering? I mean, how is suffering something that we should just avoid at all costs or, or pretend it doesn't exist? Or what? how do we think about this? Yeah, that's a deep question. Uh that I think probably all of us confront at some point, even if not consciously, we have a we have some kind of response to the suffering that happens. And I think that it can be very easy to adopt an approach to suffering that feels, you know, quote unquote, natural to us, uh, in the sense that we just don't like it. We don't want the suffering. It hurts, uh, whether that's grief or anxiety or or something else that you're dealing with. And what I've discovered in terms of the biblical view of suffering is very 
counterintuitive for me, um, and I, I'm assuming it's counterintuitive for other people. And the biblical view that I understand as being portrayed by Jesus and by the Apostle Paul is that suffering is not really an obstacle to be avoided. It's a path to be walked consciously. Um, and what I mean by that is that the suffering that you encounter is not only not accidental, you know, it's, it's under the providence of God. You know, God is controlling all of those things. But it's also playing a crucial spiritual role in the formation of your own soul um, in the sense that the things that suffering might do to you, the questions that it might raise and the faith that it's going to draw out might not happen otherwise. Uh, and in finding hope in hard things, I, I make the argument that hard things will shape us in ways that easy things can't. And that's what I'm getting at. Um, you know, Jesus says things as, as crazy as take up your cross, you know, take up your death and follow me. And Paul says something uh, as crazy as I want to share in Christ's suffering. What could they possibly mean by that? What, it seems to, to put suffering in a kind of positive light, like they want this in some way. And the reason why Jesus and Paul talk about suffering that way isn't because they like suffering or they enjoy it or they want to be some kind of a stoic and say, you know, I'm just going to embrace suffering because it makes me tough. Um, it's instead this idea that when you suffer, you are shaped to the Son of God. You're shaped to the person of Christ. And that's in Jesus's own words. That's in, in Paul's words, especially a passage like Romans 8, 29, that talks about all of us being uh, conformed to the image of Christ. And so suffering, it does that. It's, it's uh, what you might call that catalyst for change. Um, it starts to shape you into someone who sympathizes with Christ, right? Because Christ is someone who suffered uh, greatly. He was despised and, and rejected, as, as the prophet Isaiah says. So you sympathize with Christ, but then you're also being shaped to the character of Christ. And that includes all of his, uh, his attributes that would apply to us, you know, his kindness, his encouragement to other people, his, um, his sense of generosity for others, um, all these different ways in which uh, we can be conformed to Christ, uh, especially uh, what the most painful shaping I find is the sacrifice of self-will. And that's something that Jesus displayed very clearly in the Garden of Gethsemane, where he shows not that he didn't have a will. You know, Jesus said to his father, if, if there's another way that this can happen, let it be that way. But if not, then let your will be done. So Christ had a, a will, you know, had a, a desire for things to be otherwise, but he sacrificed that will for his heavenly father. He submitted to that. Mm -hmm. And that is really painful for us to do in, in hard things because our self-will jumps in right away and says, no, 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 I don't want this. I want something else. Uh, why is this happening? And that long process oftentimes of experiencing pain and 
trying to let go of your own self-will uh, and, and embrace the will of God for you in, in shaping you to Christ's character. That can be a very long process. And it can take, I would say, in some cases, can take years. Um, you know, I've mentioned to, to many people that I lost my father when I was 18. I don't, I don't think I really understood how I could be shaped by that experience for maybe a, a good 10 years, you know, of, of just wrestling mm-hmm. through some of the difficulty and the loss and the frustration. But uh, it has been a, a kind of faithful testimony that whatever bad thing has happened to me, there has been a, a moment or series of moments where I realize, oh, I, I'm, re- I'm seeing things differently now. I'm acting differently now. And I don't know if I would have done that if it wasn't for this hard thing, uh, if it wasn't for my suffering. So I guess a short mm-hmm. answer to what's the, the biblical view of suffering is suffering is a tool for Christ's conformity in the hands of a God who is sovereign and who loves his people. Hmm. So suffering is a tool in the hands of God. What, I mean, that's the qu- first question I have hearing you describe it is what about here in Japan where, you know, 0.3% of people are Christian? How, how do non-Christians wrestle with these things if they don't, I mean, is it still, is suffering still a tool in God's hand for non-Christians? Hmm. I think that's a it's a different context in that sense. Um, you know the the destiny for humanity. You know whether you're a Christian or non-Christian. You know it doesn't really change what your destiny is, as God says it. So, what your destiny is um, is to be shaped to Christ. Christians have the the benefit of being aware of that and trying to understand their experiences in that light. Non-Christians, I would say. Uh, have a different use for that suffering. That suffering can turn them toward um, an openness in some sense to to see that they're not in control of things. And that's a very hard lesson to learn for all of us, that, that we're not ultimately in control of the things that are happening to us. So even in that sense of, of understanding through your suffering, I'm not in control. And then if you answer that question, you know, and, and say, okay, I'm not in control. I know that now, whether that means I'm dealing with a, you know, a cancer diagnosis or a broken relationship or, or something else, I think you have to take the next step and say, well, does that mean that no one's in control and I just have to do the best I can um, to fix this? In which case, if things don't get better, it's very easy to become bitter and say, you know, this just doesn't seem fair. You know, I'm trying to, um, I'm trying to live a good life and, I, and I'm not getting where I want to be. Or on the other side, if you say there is someone in control, that's at least going to open you up to the possibility of thinking about a, a personal God who has good purposes for you, um, which can lead to you know, repentance, uh, a, a more willing, uh, a willingness to understand or hear the gospel message. Um, at the same time, I say that I, I don't want people to be confused into thinking of this simplistically as if God 
basically, you know, rams people with suffering until they repent, you know, like, like it's uh, as if it's that simple of a process. I think that that can happen, but sometimes I, I believe in my own experience for, for non-Christians, the suffering can lead, um, first of all, to certainly a sense of frustration and brokenness and, and loss, but finding answers to, to those issues in terms of why, you know, why is it this way? Um, why do I feel so angry about this? Mm -hmm. How do I get some sense of consolation? Um, answering those questions can often be a path that leads them into an, an openness, at least to discuss uh, the idea that there's a personal God um, who has revealed himself. Yeah, I think it's clear, too, that God has put the beauty that comes from that into the world. Um, just recently, we had a, a conference last weekend where, uh, pre-conference, we had a Kinski workshop. And the Kinski is where you fix a plate with uh, gold, and so it kind of brings out the cracks and highlights the cracks, becomes more beautiful than it was before, more valuable. What's interesting is that there was a dish about two years ago, I went to a Kinski workshop and fixed a dish that we were using for communion in our church. Mm. And wouldn't you know it, after communion, another Sunday, <laughs> that dish broke a second time. So it broke and then I fixed it with Kinski and then we washed it and a year later, uh, it was knocked off the dish rack and fell and broke again. But mm. this time it didn't break in the same place. Like that's, mm. I couldn't, I, I would think, well, that must be the weakest point. I mean, that's where it cracked before. So it's going to crack there again, but mm. no, it was cracked somewhere else. So the cracks are actually the strongest point mm. in the plate. Yeah. And so now that I've last weekend, I fixed it with silver this time so that I can see kind of the time change and, and we're going to use it for communion gone going again with our church. Mm. But the, um, the plate is stronger now. If I drop it a third time, what's going to happen? You know, maybe it's too strong to break it all now. Yeah. And it kind of seems to illustrate the point. It's not just something that, um, I mean, here in Japan, Kinski is uh, something that's been developed as an art for hundreds of years. And so for the Japanese to recognize the beauty of that in creation, it's like God is speaking through his creation, is speaking through art, this truth that suffering does not have to lead to despair and brokenness, but there is mm. another way. Mm. Yeah, that's a, that's a beautiful analogy. I think it's true. And I think sometimes we don't have the, the reflection that we uh, would need to notice those types of things. You know, mm. so for example, I, I remember someone telling me um, after I had written the, my book about anxiety and, and the struggles I've had with that, someone said something like, um, wow, you know, I bet you would have never been able to write or minister to people if you hadn't had this really in-depth experience with it. Mm -hmm. And now when you get hit with anxiety, I bet you're stronger with it. And I said, well, in a sense, yeah. Uh, in a sense, I feel like I'm I break in different places, you know, like the, like the, the dish. Um, so I'm always, you know, I'm, I'm break, I still get broken, but I get mended in different places, but there is a sense in which I think, uh, yeah, the, the way that I am 
by God's grace, able to help someone else or to, or to give them encouragement simply would not have happened if it wasn't for the brokenness. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, I've seen that too. Yeah. Which doesn't mean, you know, it's not to say that you think brokenness is inherently good, you know, as if uh, the world was, was meant to be broken, but it does uh, give you a sense that uh, even though it's mysterious, you know, that the brokenness has a stronger purpose um, and and you can see it usually in hindsight uh, if you study your own experiences and look back and say yeah if i if i didn't have that happen how would i be different right now um, there's always uh, interesting answers and if you can't find the answers then it's helpful to talk to someone who knows you and who can say yeah well you used to do this or you used to be this way and um, that's that's always another option I want to go back when you were talking about how sometimes you don't notice those things. I was really struck by the image in your book of hearing the robin's call in the hurricane. Now, here in Japan, we have a lot of typhoon, which means literally strong wind. And uh, it's pretty strong, especially I live up on the 22nd floor. And so as the wind (laughs) comes around the corners of those buildings, man, it's really racing. I mean, it sounds like a jet jetliner is going by or something like that. It's really loud. Mm. And so that image me was was really strong to me. What would a little bird's call sound like and looking for the beauty in that? And earlier in their book, you were talking about how that can represent just God's light and life. That bird call, it happens every morning. The birds are welcoming the day as the sun rises. And I, um, yeah, do you want to comment on that? Sure. I think that that illustration has a lot to do with perspective, um, which is a topic that has influenced my thinking quite a bit. And if you look at the illustration with the birds, the, the birds will sing every morning whether I hear them or not, that's, Mm. that's constant. So we could have, you know, here we don't have the typhoons, you know, I'm in Pennsylvania, but we have, you know, strong thunderstorms occasionally or something like that, um, that would drown out that noise, you know, that would make it harder for us to hear it. And that doesn't mean that it's not there. It just means that my perspective, my focus has shifted. I'm now paying more attention, for example, to the thunder that I hear. I'm not seeking out the bird songs. Um, but because I know they're there, I have a, a kind of confidence that, oh yeah, if I really focus and listen, then in between the thunder strikes, I'll be able to hear it. I'll be able to, to hear the song. And I think that it's, uh, so I think that the issue with that illustration ultimately leads to something like your perspective or your focus. It's mm-hmm. not the case that you're hoping that the birds will sing uh, in the midst of the the tumult and the and the the big uh, gusts of wind you know that they're singing uh, and you can have a kind of quiet confidence that that's there um, but you'll have a choice as we always do we'll have a choice about where we want to focus our perspective we can focus it on the louder sounds uh, around us and sometimes we need to do that um, or we can kind of focus on something quieter that's uh, still true, still powerful, but it's not in the foreground. You know, it's not 
right in front of us in the way that suffering can be. And I think it was C.S. Lewis who said suffering, you know, shouts at us with a megaphone. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so we're, we get screamed at by suffering. And, uh, you know, if you've ever been screamed at by anyone, you know that it feels almost impossible to look somewhere else. You know, the, the screaming is so loud. But at the same time, you know, if someone is screaming at you, that doesn't mean the rest of the universe is stopped. Everything else is still moving, is still going on. Mm-hmm. And you have a, a choice to focus uh, your perspective on something else. And it doesn't mean you can ignore, you know, the hard things that are going on. Uh, but it does mean that you can seek out hope in the midst of those things, which I think is critical for Christians. There's, there's always a call to hope. And uh, to do that, I think, is, is an issue of perspective. You have to figure out where, where am I going to focus or how am I going to see this piece of suffering in the context of God's greater story for my life? Um, that's a perspective-oriented question. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that to me was one of the most important themes or themes that really struck me in your book is just how if we don't choose to perceive things in a certain way, it really can destroy us you know i mean or if you like replay things in your mind it can make you bitter or blaming other people mm-hmm. um, but if you respond to things correctly if you have the right perception of it it really can be a healing thing it can make you softer more mm-hmm. open to people and that never uh, goes badly you know if you're yeah. willing to listen and be pastoral to people in that way to feel their pain by by remembering your own. Yeah, I think that sometimes people have asked me what they could say to someone else who's suffering, because oftentimes we don't know what to say that would encourage someone. Um, and we have the you know the kind of aphorisms in Christianity like uh, God's in control, you know uh, God's got a good plan for this, and those things are true. Uh, but they don't always encourage people in the way that we want them to. And mm-hmm. I've told um, people in the past that what I really wish someone would have said to me back, uh, for example, right after my dad had died, what I wish someone would have said, um, and, and what I know now to be true, is is if someone said something like, I'm really sorry that you're going through this deep pain, you know, this this experience, and, and yet I'm also excited and hopeful to see the amazing thing that God is going to do in shaping your soul through it. And I don't think if, if someone would have said that to me, I probably would have still kind of rolled my eyes and said, yeah, you know, eventually I know that will happen. But it would have at least planted a seed there that would have said, um, there's more going on here than your immediate pain. Mm-hmm. As difficult as that is to see, there's more going on. There's something greater happening. And this is going to not just turn out for your good, but for something amazingly good. Uh, you know, the best thing that could possibly happen to any human being is that you would be made more like Christ. So if you have a hard thing and someone says, well, this is really tough, but it's actually going to lead to the best thing that could ever happen to you. That would be profoundly encouraging to me, uh, even if in the moment I didn't see it, you know, as encouragement. Um, I didn't have anyone who spoke that truth into my life, you know, at that that moment. Mm-hmm. Uh, there, there wasn't anyone who was able to put my suffering 
in the perspective of being shaped to Christ, which is the most glorious thing that could ever happen to me. And in fact, is the thing that my father would have wanted to happen for me, you know, more than anything else. Um, so I think that's one way to respond to people, you know, in the midst of, uh, of their suffering is to somehow find a way to, to kindly and cautiously encourage them that something great is going to come from this. Something beautiful is going to come from the brokenness. And, and I, and you're, you're mm-hmm. so confident that that will be the case that you're even allowed to show excitement that, oh my goodness, you know, something big is going to happen for you. Um, you know, not just for your own sake, but for, for God's glory and, and the work of his kingdom. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Again, it's about perception, right? Mm-hmm. I, um, I remember meeting a pastor in South America who actually had been imprisoned and tortured. And I found out that story later when I first met him, I was like, this guy is amazing. That like, there was something so solid about him. I was like, I want to, I want to be like him. <laughs> well, I didn't know what I was asking for. <laughs> I do not want to be imprisoned and tortured. But yeah. it, it is amazing to me that he was not a broken man. He was a great leader, but he had this trauma. I mean, things he couldn't speak about that yeah. he had experienced in his life, but it completely changed him to be both strong and weak in the good sense at the same yeah. time to be so open to people that then people wanted to follow him. Yeah. You know, um, William Faulkner, you know, the novelist is quoted as saying, uh, it seems strange, but disaster seems to be good for people. It's such, such mm. a weird thing to say. Uh, but he said, when it, when he said that, um, I was thinking, yeah, I think that's true, but probably not in the way that he thought it would be true. Uh, suffering doesn't just make you more resilient or, you know, make you some some kind of better person in a general sense. I think what it does is uh, it kind of expand your perspective again a little bit more, so that you're able to see where you're headed. You know, I've talked to a few people recently who have lost children, you know, buried young children, which is a, a unimaginable tragedy for me. You know, with with young mm-hmm. kids, but uh, you know, they've they've gone through this intense suffering and they have also come out of that or or are coming through that i should say because you never really come come out of it but they're going through that in a way that shows a greater focus on their eternal place of rest you know they want to be with their children and their children are you know in eternity now so they're focused on eternity which makes them strangely um, more grateful for things in the present. So in my experience with, with these people, it's, it's, it's almost been the case that every time I meet someone who's extremely uplifting, you know, positive, encouraging, that person has been through immense suffering um, and has mm-hmm. come through it and then had a greater realization for what's really important, you know, how, how they want to focus their time that they have here, and uh, it's just a, a kind of bizarre realization that you, we, we tend to think that people who would be the happiest are the people who have the most comfortable lives. Uh, but true happiness seems to kind of plunge through uh, the darkness of, of being broken and suffering. And then when it comes out on the other side, it's, 
it's amazingly encouraging for the rest of us to see. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, it's my hope that people here in Japan, because there's already this Japan aesthetic, you know, of beauty and brokenness and the good that can come from it. And they're already, you know, the Japanese eye is already trained to look for that, mm. that more and more people here would come to know <laughs> this bird song of, of God's son, of Christ, and how it reflects him and come to love him and realize that that bird has been singing here from the very beginning, mm. long before the first missionary ever set foot in Japan. Mm. And so, yeah, I think that the challenge that we'll face at least in the context of broader culture, is I think you already have this popular idea that's probably kind of stoic in this, in some sense. But the popular idea is that you know suffering makes you stronger. Uh, you know, I remember a, a, a person wearing a T-shirt that was probably I think for the the, the Marines or something at some point. It said um, it said something like um, suffering is weakness leaving the body. Or, you know, something like that. <laughs> yeah. I thought, you know, there, there's that. certain people love this idea that, you know, <laughs> oh, yeah, well, what doesn't kill me makes me stronger. Uh, but there, there's no one who's really bunkering down on that issue of what does it mean to be stronger? Hmm. You know, for the Christian to be stronger is to be weaker, which is not what most of us want. You know, um, Paul says, you know, he's at his strongest when he's at his weakest. And so there's a desire for us to be strong, but oftentimes we replace that, the meaning of that word strong with the culture's understanding of what mm. it is to be strong, uh, to be, for example, more resilient um, or more resourceful uh, or more creative, you know, something like that. It's always this good, uh, you know, this word with good connotations to it. Um, but when I look at what what Paul says, it's kind of like, oh, well, for me to become stronger is really for me to become weaker, mm -hmm. which is strangely encouraging to me because, you know, I only have one direction to go in life. I'm not going to get any younger. Uh, I'm only going to age, you know, and my, my body is going to break down and I'm going to have health problems like everyone else. And that's the direction, you know, I'm, I'm going, already starting to feel it. I'm only you know, 47. <laughs> yeah. I'm, you know, that's my direction. Um, and I love the idea of moving in that direction as actually a position of strength, but it's according to scripture, it's a strength that's actually growing in weakness. So the weaker that you feel in yourself, the stronger you become in Christ, the more you, you rely on him um, and see your dependence on him as a benefit, you know, as a blessing. So in that sense, I feel like, you know, hard things and suffering are just going to keep coming. Mm -hmm. there's no way around it. But as a Christian, at least I can say that there's a, a strange optimism there. Like, well, yeah, I'm going to suffer, which means I'm going to get weaker, but that actually means I'm going to get stronger because to be weak in, uh, in myself is to be strong in the Lord. Um, so you can kind of look at the suffering and not say, you know, every time, oh no, you know, I didn't want this to happen or how can mm -hmm. I fix this? You can say, um, right away, oh, uh, God, how are you going to use this uh, and start searching? God's going to shape me to Christ to this somehow. He's going to make me stronger in Christ. So instead of asking the why question, I'm going to answer, you know, I'm going to try to answer the how questions. And uh, that can be very beneficial for people and um, giving them something to focus on that's ultimately positive.
Yeah, I'm looking at the time. I think we better stop there. But that I think that's thank you for making that point because it's easy to, you know, because people perceive things different ways <laughs> to misconstrue what the strength is. And mm-hmm. the strength for Christians is the weakness of Christ. Mm. That's so good. The, the hard things are an opportunity to draw closer to Christ and to become like him. So thank you for your time today, Pierce. Uh, yeah, I'm glad I could be with you. In the show notes for this episode, I'll put a link to Pierce's book so you can pick up a copy and read more about him. This is Roger Lather, and you've been listening to the Art Life Faith Podcast. As we say in Japan, ja, mata ne. See you next time. Mm-hmm.